I'm Maria. And I'm Michelle. I'm Montana. And this is the first episode of Building Bridges, a podcast made in collaboration between Brescia and Kings. In each episode, we will talk about a topic that people on Brescia's or Kings campuses are interested in, um, and we are hoping that this podcast will bring some student concerns to the light. And every now and then, we're going to be bringing in guests to talk about their personal experiences, their knowledge, and how some of the issues may have impacted them individually. <laughs> so for this episode, we have brought two guests to discuss their experiences with today's topic, shaping inclusive campuses, staff experiences with EDID. Their experience in the equity, diversity, inclusion, and decolonization, or EDID field, will bring us um, valuable insight. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Sure. Um, I'm Jennifer Slay. I am the Director of Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, and Decolonization at King's University College. And I'm Lisette, and I'm the Special Advisor to the President at around EDIT at Russia University College. For this episode, we would like to learn about your individual experiences implementing EDID um, and your thoughts on the King slash Russia anti-racism working group. So we will use a few guiding questions throughout the episode to keep us on track. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Okay. Um, to get us started, we wanted to ask you a question that's really relevant in your line. Um, what does EDID mean to you guys? Hmm. That's a good one. So uh, for me, uh, equity, diversity, inclusion, uh, when you are operating at a place of having people, I guess everyone thrive and be able to thrive in as equitable a way as possible, then you are automatically working to decolonize, right? So when you have diverse voices, you're, you're being mindful and intentional about whose voices you're hearing and who's not there. Um, that is a way of operating in a more equitable, diverse, and inclusive way. Jen said something powerful about intentionality. So for me, equity, diversity, inclusion. Um, I always also add the decolonization piece because we have a responsibility as Catholic institutions to also decolonize. And for me, it has to be at the foundation, but this work is intentional. Um, it's also all about uh, you know eliminating um, barriers of working in mm -hmm. community because this work cannot be siloed it needs to be done in community and collaboratively um, so yeah that's what it means to me that's amazing um, what are some of the ways you guys have implemented EDID in your job positions well it's my job <laughs> <laughs> so everything I do yeah. but um, the first few months that I got here, because I've only been here since December 2022, mm -hmm. and the first few months I really just took the time to get to know the campus and the culture of the campus. And what I found is that there's a lot of great people doing great work, but it's siloed, right? There's a lot of, there's the collaboration and the cohesiveness wasn't there. And I think that's one of the things that's really important in, in the office here at King's is to ensure that we're working together and then bringing in other voices and working with the other campuses as well. For me, um, I think uh, since the work, uh, you know, this work is historic, first of all. Um, so there's been fantastic uh, folks who've pushed this work historically in the past. It's just I feel that the terminology might be new, mm -hmm. but um, 
I feel uh, nowadays uh, people worry about time restrictions too, right? Like we don't have um, time to implement new things, but in realities, it's not. Uh, it's not that you're implementing anything new. You're learning new ways of practice, right? To to make sure you have that lens of equity, um, and then being careful as well, because when you commit to decolonization as a person to try to take steps to allyship, um, decolonization means amplifying Indigenous community voices, and they have to be at the center of decision-making as well. That's part of decolonization. And so I find uh, folks are still needing to, to learn a lot of what the terminologies mean and really implement them into practice. Um, it's something that won't happen tomorrow, but needs to be done again in community and learning. Just out of pure curiosity, are there any challenges you face in this process of working toward institutional change? Well, to, to what Lisette was saying in terms of decolonizing and using intentionality and doing that, I've been very vocal in saying it's very difficult to decolonize an institution that has been created in colonization. And so it's not a matter of ripping everything down and starting fresh because that's not going to happen. We just have to be real. But how can we do better? And how can we intentionally do better? And sometimes it is going to take more time than it would have if we just kind of go, go, go. Sometimes it's going to mean that we have to pause, reflect, and do some really strong self-reflection because we all have a number of biases that we've, we've just grown with that we have to become aware of and that can be painful sometimes, right? So it's those types of challenges in getting people to shift the way they think as well as to shift the way they do things, how things are normally done, right? Um, those, those would be some of the, the challenges that, that I face. Just to add on that as well, it's um, while you're you're shifting um, your perspectives and learning from others, um, the truth comes before all of that too, right? Like um, acknowledging the harm that each of us has personally made, and that can be very difficult for folks sometimes, right? Um, is admitting to both historic and present day practices that are harming communities, and um, that step to acknowledging that truth, you know, and continuing in a non-defensive way mm -hmm. to pick yourself up from from understanding what you've done and um, moving forward. And some some folks, when they're in that space of truth, they they shut either shut down, get defensive, or they don't want to be part of dialogues anymore. And that's where the danger is at, right? You want to continue to to challenge yourself to continue those dialogues and so yeah yeah so off the cameras obviously we were talking about what edid was called i don't know if i should say this in before your time <laughs> before my time before my time before our time um obviously it was probably called something different um but do you guys remember like any titles or like Names for EDID. <laughs> it, it was it was different. So multiculturalism through the eighties and nineties is really what we would celebrate different um, ethnicities, different groups, and, and things like that. Um, and then 
what were you saying before? I think um, equality and social justice. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, because in my like when I was in elementary school, personally, I never heard about like um, multiculturalism or anything like that. I would only experience multiculturalism when I was at home, but mm. with my parents, they would be watching TV. They'd be watching like lots of like Filipino stuff, and I'm just like, wow, none of my friends in elementary school look like that, or like. Oh wow! My teachers. Uh, I'm just gonna say this. Um, none of them were like. I couldn't relate to anybody mm-hmm. for when mm-hmm. I was in elementary school because mm-hmm. there were no Filipinos, no no like Asian background, no different ethnicities that I would connect to because there were so many of just one one group of people mm-hmm. so um yeah i don't know how about you guys but like how was elementary school for you guys like pdid multiculturalism well for me personally i went to three elementary schools i transferred twice and my second elementary school i was at the longest and it was a very white school also in a semi-poor neighborhood and there were almost no teachers of color. There was only, I've only ever had one, and that was in my fourth, fifth grade year, and that was my music teacher. Um, but all of my other teachers were white, and like you said, like I couldn't relate to them. Most of the other kids at my school were white. I was the only black kid in that entire school. It was me, like one black kid, two or three Asian kids, and I think that was it. Like, there wasn't really anyone else. So literally, like, it was just, like, me and, like, the Asian kids together until we then grew apart because we're different people. Mm-hmm. And then by that point, I was alone with no black friends, no black teachers, no biracial teachers or biracial friends to relate to. So then I was just sitting there like, wow. Like you said, no one can relate to me. And I can't relate to them great (laughs) and then I just kind of die on the inside a little bit further (laughs) yeah for sure when I moved to Canada it was when I was 13 years old so it was that very like important moment in anybody's life where it's like you start developing friendships and relationships and realizing things about the world but when I came here I realized that a lot of the Latin representation that I was being handed was not very positive and it was all of these stereotypes that in our own culture we learn to accept um and internalize instead of facing it um because it's seen as a compliment for north americans to see us at all so any type of representation will do um and i didn't have any other latin friends to relate to or anything people would like ask me things about oh how do you say this in spanish how do you say that in spanish like uh do you guys have electricity in your country do you guys have cars do you guys have water and it was just all this stuff that's like i had never really questioned because some things although they are stereotypes some things happen to be true and it's that thing where it's like are you asking me out of honesty and that you want to know or are you asking me because you want to make fun of me for it so I never had anybody to relate to. Only recently I've made friends that also speak Spanish, even though we're not from the same country. But any semblance of being able to relate to each other is something that we hold on really tightly to. Um, but thankfully, in my university year so far, I've had a lot of uh, teachers of multiple races, and it's been so fun to actually listen to their perspectives and like what they have to say about certain topics and them teach from a different lens from what I was taught um, in elementary school. 
So, you know, and we've had very mixed experiences, but we have that common ground where it's like, mm-hmm. you know. Can I also mention just like one other thing? My third elementary school, um, for any Londoners or locals who are listening to this, it was Eagle Heights. Eagle Heights is in the West End and it has a lot of um, immigrant um, students and a lot of students who are just from a lot of different other countries who speak a bunch of different other languages. In particular, that school, it's like almost half-half white and Arab slash Middle Eastern. So in that sense, and that plus there was a good sprinkle of like other Asians and other black students. So in that sense, like just walking by the hallway, it was nice just to see someone who looked like me. Same with Beale. I went to HB Beale for high school and same thing. Just seeing someone who looks like me, even if I didn't talk to them, even if I didn't know their name, just seeing them walk by. I'm like, great. I'm not the only one who looks tanned with curly hair here. This is awesome. Like I'm not the only one. And... But with that, I will say Eagle Heights, they, they mostly only had white teachers. So even though the population was really diverse, the teachers that were represented were not diverse really at all. Again, most of them were white. But I feel like now, though, like a lot of schools and like universities are starting to grow out of like just having one race as a professor and I'm really proud that we can like say that Western Kings Brescia is doing like what they can to hire or like get people of color people of like different cultures to be professors for students like us so another thing we wanted to talk about was that anti-racism working group I will read it off the Kings website what it is for those who haven't heard about it it goes the Kings Brescia anti-racism group working group has been tasked with making recommendations that help make the Kings and Brescia campuses safer, more respectful, and more equitable environments in which to study, research, work, and live. Through November 2020 to May 2021, the KBARWG met for discussions. We, we created a research plan and sought ethics approval to gather information on campus climate in two ways. First, through an anonymous survey conducted on the two campuses, and second, through interviews with Black, Indigenous, and racialized community members. The survey analysis was completed, and the report was submitted to the two presidents in July 2021. So there are two documents attached. So there's the report summary, and they think you're exaggerating, a report on campus racial climate at Kings and Russia. I'm sure you guys have all read these, right? I personally have. And none of the findings surprised me much, which is really sad. Uh, they more so confirmed that this is in fact happening and we have the research to back it up. Yeah, I agree. So with the report, there are a lot of great findings in the report, by the way. Really, really great stuff. I was just reading it legitimately all morning because I was really interested. But there are four main takeaways that I personally found in the report. So one big one was that only 40% of King's students and 70, 73% of Russia students have been taught by a faculty of color. So kind of like what we were mentioning before, like my, maybe minus Maria, but a lot of us haven't had any faculty of color here. Um, microaggressions, jokes, racial slurs, and intellectual put-downs were some of the more common forms of racism on both of these campuses. And of course, these are more covert racism, so it's not as obvious versus overt racism, which is, of course, like saying the N-word when you're a white person. Um, so with breaking that down, when it came to the racial uh, microaggressions at King's, there was a fairly similar number of racialized students to white students who witnessed um, 
the acts. So essentially at King's, the white students were a little bit more observant of racist behavior, particularly when it's almost inarguably racist. Like you can't debate it at all, like it is racist. Whereas Brescia, those numbers are not very close, they're more distant, so that could signify that the white students there might not be as observant with racist behavior versus the white students at King's. Um, 40% of the Brescia faculty disagreed that hiring practices enhance diversity. One-fifth of King's faculty disagreed that hiring practices would enhance diversity. Mm. What do you think of that? Mm. <laughs> Lots of statistics there. Yeah, true. Lots of statistics. Mm. Um, well, okay. Firstly, I was just reading the whole thing. I'm like, this is just making me sad. Just both sides making me sad and just makes me want to cry on the inside and like almost on the outside, legit. But Brescia particularly, like I was reading Kings. I'm like, okay, that's bad. I look at Brescia. I'm like, oh God, this is worse than I thought. Like especially with particularly with the racialized students and the white students with the microaggressions and the numbers being so different with low white students, high racialized students. It just shows that like there's a gap that there is racism, but not a lot of people are recognizing it and or reporting it. Mm-hmm. So there is probably more out there, but it's either not being reported or like just brushed off a lot of the time. The important thing with um, gathering these information is to build that awareness, right? And yeah. so that's the beauty that comes out of these reports is, okay, now we know, so now what are we going to do about it? And yeah. what you're doing here with this podcast is exactly something to help bring the awareness to the, the Kings and Brescia community and then challenge everyone. Now, what's your next step going to be? How can we make things better? What does equity mean to you? What does inclusion mean? What does diversity mean? What does decolonization mean? And how people really sit back and think and reflect on that and start living that out. Because as much as we're an institution and there's certain ways of doing things, it's individuals that make up the institution. And if those individuals are all thinking and shifting the way they're doing things and thinking, then the institution automatically has to shift as well. Right, yeah. Yeah. And in addition to that, like once you know um, the data and facts, you can only move up from there, right? In terms of solutions. And I always think about what um, Honorable Murray Sinclair quoted or said or stated, Um, I quote this all the time, Um, education got us into this mess and education will get us out, right? So the more you know, the more you can you can move forward. But I think as, as well, I know for um, the fantastic um, colleagues who, who d- dove into this research, the dangers of, of continuous re- research, and, and it's beautiful as well because we're a university, right? Mm-hmm. So in university, you're taught to critically think, ask questions, and research, research, research. Mm-hmm. But the dangers are when institutions um, start to pile up reports historically, and then there's no solution for it, right? Mm-hmm. So. Jen mentioned some great positive things that our institutions are doing, and I think, um, I know over at Brescia, we, we made it part of our strat plan. And when it's part of your strat plan, you're held accountable, right? So your institutions are, we have to be held accountable um, with what our responsibilities are and, um, and keep moving forward, right? So 
So I, I know Montana, you mentioned that some of the data or all of the data that came out from the report um, made you sad for both the Kings and Brush Aside. So one thing um, to remember is um, I know the working group, um, Kings Russia um, Anti-Racism Working Group specifically, we went into this research not, not questioning does racism exist? We went into it saying it does exist. So that's like the critical race theory approach, right? We know it exists and we need to find out where and what it looks like at both mm -hmm. of our campuses. So again, it, it's about, you know, um, not understanding that uh, none of our institutions are immune to it and, and, and finding out how it's reflected and impacts our, our community, both at the student, staff and faculty level, right? Of course, yeah. Thank you for that point. So with you guys um, making the report and you guys have some recommendations on the report, what initiatives have progressed or have um, been made since the report has been published? Well, since the report's been published, my position was created, and I'm here. <laughs> so that that's one of the one of the things. And since my arrival here, uh, and I, I'm I'm going to pause in a minute, so cause, because Lisette was part of that group and did amazing work, and probably would have more information to share. But since my arrival, uh, I've taken a look at that report, and that report has really guided the work that I do at, in the office of EDID at Kings. And uh, we looked at each of the recommendations, uh, figured out, okay, what are some things that we can do, presented that to uh, the chairs, the co-chairs of the ARWG, and uh, the work that you'll see during the academic year 2023-2024 is the work that came out of, of that, uh, that report. Yeah. Awesome, okay. And then what about you, Lizette? Yeah, so um, over at Brescia, again, Brescia and Kings and Huron and Western, um, what has been done since that report was launched is we really started breaking down barriers and working in community. So um, I feel there's a huge craving for further learning and education, both, um, you know, whether you're working on your own internal biases or uh, racism that that we all uphold in these systems um, there, there's a lot of that truth and then moving forward in in uh, community and reconciliation right so there's I, I feel aside from departments being built um, you know Im implementing str strategic planning like I mentioned um, putting further working groups t uh, within our own universities to start the work process because we can't work in silos um, amplifying community has been large you know a large part of our projects bringing the outside community in um, you know, uh, moving marginalized communities um, from the outskirts to the center and, and understanding what that looks like. Enhancing global knowledge systems, like all of our universities have, have really dived in into that area so that students can see a representation until we all get, you know, the perfect funding one day to, to <laughs> further hire and, and retain, right, professors of diverse backgrounds. That shouldn't stop our current professors from implementing global knowledge systems, right? And so our students can feel there's a big representation of, of who they are in the classroom, right? So we're really proud of, of the work each institution is doing. And um, I'm proud of my colleagues as well, um, who have, you know, really kept us energized and 
for me personally, I have to have um, one foot out in community with folks that are doing this work to feel human and, and grasp together and say, okay, we've got to pick ourselves up because there's actually a powerful book I recommend you all read. It's called um, There's Rest in, in No, There's um, Resistance and Rest. And it really taught me that this work is eternal, mm -hmm. right? This work's never going to end. Mm -hmm. um, there's always going to be new challenges and battles we all have to work together in. And that sometimes you need to step back and get energized in community to be able to keep going. And one of the things that has come out of it as well is a collaboration between Western and Huron Kings and Brescia. Uh, we're, we've done the EDID Awareness Week 2023, yes. and we're hoping it'll become an annual thing, but it's the four campuses working collaboratively together to provide awareness and education to our communities as well as the larger London community. And uh, it's, it's exciting. We have some amazing, um, amazing speakers, uh, amazing presentations that are going to happen that week. Just curious, because I just thought of this question right now. What are you guys both doing in terms of like Russia and Kings for the indigenous piece, for like de decolonization particularly? Because I know, Lisa, you're talking about like centering indigenous voices is important for decolonization, especially at Catholic institutions, which we are Catholic institutions. Like we can't separate Kings from Catholicism. We can't separate Brescia from Catholicism. So how do you guys think to bring in the indigenous piece? Well, it's in, it's in everything that we do, right? And so I know here at Kings, um, for example, the School of Social Work, they've decided well, you know what, we are going to take this seriously and we are going to make a posting for faculty and we're looking for Indigenous faculty. We want people who are, identify as Indigenous to be here and so they put a call out um, and have hired since. So it's, again, from what we said at the beginning, the intentionality, yeah. using intentionality. Right? Um, we are looking to create different supports for our Indigenous students as well as our Indigenous faculty and staff. So there's a number of different things happening in specifically for our Indigenous community, but also um, in building connections and learning the their knowledge systems mm -hmm. to incorporate into the way we do things. Oh, that's great. <laughs> awesome. Um, for Russia. Okay, so I feel... Um, for me, decolonization, um, I feel it, it's, a, it's a word that's being thrown around a lot and, and folks are still needing to learn, including myself, of what it means in practice. And so um, at Russia, we're, because we're trying to hold the institution accountable as a, as a Catholic institution, we're looking at our, our ways of um, practicing first. And so first area I want to talk about, for example, um, we have hiring committees just like every single institution. So what does it mean to decolonize our hiring committees? Like do, do professors have to hold a PhD, for example, or can they be um, folks that um, have life experience and that they can provide that knowledge? And so um, when we're amplifying indigenous communities and their voices, you know, aside from 
the hiring piece and we want to also support them and not, uh, for example, at Brescia, we've done projects with indigenous communities and activists where we don't charge them for the space. They can't use our space because it's not our land, right? Like it's our, like it, it's going back to what are land acknowledgements? How do you put them into practice, right? Mm -hmm. Another one is we've partnered with uh, Western Engineering and Sciences on the ISAP program. So it's to increase representation of Indigenous students in STEM. And I know uh, Western's done the same for Black community, for Black student community, right? So we're doing that for Indigenous communities so that their full tuition is covered at Russia for the preliminary, preliminary year program so that they get their prerequisites for engineering and sciences in the future, right? Um, other, other things we've worked on is partnerships with, um, so we have a fantastic friend, and I know uh, she's a friend of King's as well, Amanda Kennedy, so she's brought youth camps to Russia as well. We've supported and amplified her, and we will continue to. Um, I, well, Jen and I, we work very closely with Sean Hoogterp, who's the Indigenous mm -hmm. Initiatives Coordinator for all the affiliates. Sean has been a blessing and a massive guide for me. <laughs> so like I can run to him for like anything um, and he's always been there. Um, I think working, I, I know at main campus or there's been a team who's worked closely with indigenous initiatives. Um, if you haven't gone to the Wampum Learning Lodge, you should <laughs> for programming, but um, there's a team over at Western who's currently working on a guide on uh, the responsibilities of decolonization from an allyship perspective. So I find working together in dialogue with, with that team, again, not in silos, um, on what the practice looks like and how to be intentional. You know, Because for me, when you decolonize, you include indigenous communities into the decision-making as well, right? And then you have to kind of be open to eliminating colonial practices too. Like, don't be so, like strict on your <laughs> strict on your um, policy practices, like make wib wiggle room to change that and see how it's impacting and 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 being you know harmful, I guess, towards folks too. Um, I've had discussions with amazing faculty about what creating equity means, right? And in terms of um, decolonizing the ways you you grade, like does it have to be all writing like can it be you know what I'm saying like can it be oral uh, telling or, or, or oral stories etc so there's different ways to do that and I always at one time I got asked about um, how can you decolonize with with such small amounts of budget you can you just change your practices right and you receive guidance so there's but again it, it's all done in community so Another powerful one Sean helped with is um, we're, we're creating permanent smudging spaces uh, for, for folks, both community for folks and our, our students um, who live in residence. So all of these ways of life and ways of being that are impacting students are, are being centered now. And, yeah. and it's important also to, to understand that this isn't just the responsibility of the office of EDID mm -hmm. at either yes. Prussia or at King's, right? This is something that has to be embedded into the fabric of the institution. Mm -hmm. So as much as we might be taking the lead, we definitely are not the only ones responsible to do the work. It's the responsibility of every student, every faculty, every staff to embed these different practices and different ways of, of knowing and being mm -hmm. um, into how, how we operate. 
That is awesome. I just think that's like one of the best ways of implementing a um, land statement. Like, yes, use our land because this is not our land. It's yours. Yeah. So. Well, and the other important thing uh, you reminded me of, Jen, I know King's, the King's Library and Brush Library, they're currently working on amplifying um, what's happening with missing, murdered Indigenous women, mm-hmm. girls, and two-spirited folks uh, with the, um, it's called a, a micro project with the library. I don't know, I can't remember right now the exact name, <laughs> but it's um, basically purchasing special fabric that will have a storytelling of and raising awareness of missing, murdered Indigenous. So I'm, I'm like, I am pretty sure all of the Western libraries have been included in that project. So that's an exciting event to Awesome. Okay. That's Look super cool to hear. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's awesome to hear all of this and to know that I think we're in the middle of an institutional change um, because of people like you putting in the work to amplify the voices of everybody who needs it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thanks for, for having today. us. I learned some new things today. Yeah, for sure. I'm so excited to go share them with everybody who hear me. I'm excited for this first episode to go up. Me too.